Sometimes women may feel like they, oh, he's got an erection. We've got to have sex now or else. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, it narrowly defines what sex is. And I think it doesn't allow the person who feels rushed or feels pressured to go ahead and have sex to be able to really enjoy it. And if you don't really enjoy it, you're not going to desire it. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Preble Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Let's Talk About Sex. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Yeah, if salt and pepper can talk about sex, then we can talk about sex. I have a conversation with a professional sexologist, Kelly Johnson, and we address many of couples' concerns and issues around sex that we both see in our practices, such common ones of different sexual desires and compatibility, the challenges to have open communication about sex and really have the language to be understood. And we talk about our own responsibility of of sexual beings to be able to have our needs met. We talk about the subject that's really challenging for people around porn. Kelly gives some insights into sexual trauma and other challenges that people might have. We also talk about what spurs sexual connection and how things like appreciation and non-sexual touch can also feed and create a healthy environment for people to better their sex lives. So let me tell you a little bit more about Kelly. Kelly holds a doctorate degree in human sexuality and a master's degree in public health education. As a sex educator, she provides comprehensive sex education to private schools and charter schools, as well as for small groups. As a professional sexologist, she works with couples and individuals to resolve sexual issues and concerns through non-medical modalities that work within the client's value system. Kelly's aim is to help individuals and couples enjoy the pleasures and free expression of their sexuality. You can read more about Kelly's services at her website, kellyjohnsonphd.com. And we have links on the show notes to learn more about Kelly. All right, everybody. Here we go. Let's talk about sex. Hey, Kelly. Thanks so much for wanting to have this conversation, a conversation that people really want to hear about sex. Thank you for coming. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I love collaborating with you. I know that we have shared uh, many clients in the the past, you being a sexologist. And when 
you recognize that it's a, also a couple's issues that are getting into the emotions and so forth. You send them my way and uh, vice versa when there's issues that people are really looking to get more understanding of uh, sex education and to have real good vocabulary around around sex to have a more pleasurable and sex life. And that's what you do. So thank you for that's what you do. That is what I do. And I appreciate having a having you as a resource. It is uh, wonderful to be able to meet all of the needs of my clients and having you on my, having you as a go-to therapist is absolutely wonderful. Thank you. So what made you interested in being a sexologist, a sex educator? Like, how did you get, how did you say, this is where I want to put my focus? Well, the story starts back in fifth grade. And this is when we all had brick and mortar bookstores. And I was in a bookstore in the health section and found a human body book that just blew my mind. And it was the number one item on my holiday gift list. And I was happy when Santa brought it to me. And it was a big book. It was, you know, a picture book written for adults, but not so savvy that I couldn't understand it. And each chapter looked at a different system of the body and the reproductive system and sexuality absolutely fascinated me to no end. So that's when I fell in love with the body and how the body works. And I was especially drawn to the sexuality chapter. So by the time I was in middle school and high school, I had just delved into any kind of sexual information I could get my hands on, mostly through the through the health perspective, and kind of became the go-to person when my friends needed information about sex. And I was happy to provide it to them. Did you get a lot of shit from your friends' parents? Or like, well, don't, you know, uh, that you were the go-to girl and you were educating them, or did were they were they appreciative that they didn't have to do it? <laughs> I think that it was so much on the download that the parents didn't know where their kids were getting the information. Hmm. But sometimes I wonder if maybe it impacted the reputation I had in high school, hmm. being so comfortable talking about sex. As I reflect back, I'm curious what people thought about me in relation to sexuality. But at the time I really didn't care. I just, I had this passion and I went with it. I just, I couldn't keep my mouth shut. <laughs> mm. And by the time I went to college, knew that health was going to be my area of study. And after getting a clinical nutrition degree, which was, was clinical and health-based, and also, this will tell you how old I am, was in the School of Home Economics. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, And in the School of Home Economics, we also studied uh, child development, which is another area that I'm very interested in, because I think it's important. Creating a sexually healthy adult is really stems from creating a sexually healthy child. So looking at child development and how children develop sexually is a is still an interest of mine and was when I was in college. When I finished my undergraduate degree, it was 1989, and we were living in the worlds of world of HIV/AIDS, and I felt so drawn 
to that topic that everything, everything in my, I've got a master's of public health education and every project, every reading, every article I did was related to sex education and AIDS education and was lucky enough to have a study buddy who was actually HIV positive. And so he would include me in the programming that he participated in, collaborated with, and started in relation to HIV sex education. And by the time I finished my undergraduate degree, I was lucky enough to come back to Asheville, which is my home, and begin providing sex education in the school system. And then it went from the school system to UNCA to me getting my PhD and going into private practice. Wow. So you had, this is your life. You've had a long history of of focusing on it. It is my life. It's all I've ever done. And I absolutely love it. I'm so satisfied with my line of work and seeing it evolve over the last 30 years. We are definitely moving in the right direction and Mm. Things are happening now that 30 years ago would not even, wasn't even on the radar. Because this is, this is such a big part of, especially couples connection. And if they don't have a healthy sex life, there's some aspect of, you know, their relationship not being successful or, or failing or being so dissatisfied. So it's an area that really needs a lot of attention so that people can really work on it, work on the emotional aspects, not criticize, blame each other, make one identified patient. Because I believe when a couple has a sex issue, it's the couple's issue. It's not just the person's issue. It's the couple's issue. I agree. Yeah. What do you see as some of the main issues that people are coming to you with that they want to transform? The overall issue that I see predominantly in my practice is seeing a couple where they have differing levels of interest in sex. They're discordant in their sexual desire. And I think, I don't think there's any couple out there that has the exact same level of interest or sexual desire, but the clients I see, they're much more polar Mm. than healthy couples. And one of the one of the things that I start with is getting an idea of their sex education background and how they felt about sexuality as they were going through puberty and in their young adulthood years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you do you find that most people that have challenges around sex is their earlier years around shame? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I don't think that we can talk about sexuality without talking about religious upbringing. Mm -hmm. And there are some denominations that do a fantastic job raising sexually healthy young people. And there are religious organizations that do a very poor job. And that's really hard to work with when you have an adult couple that have had their foundation based on conservative religious beliefs and have been taught and I know this is a, a common phrase in, in our world, sex is great when you're married, but it's dirty when you're not. So yep. what is it? Sex is dirty. Save it for the person you love. Yeah. I think yeah. that's the, that's the saying. Mm-hmm. And it really creates a lot of 
really creates a lot of problem. Yeah, it's in the really, relationship, it's really deep seated because it's it's around you know the fear, the fear of God, the fear of whether I'm going to be a good person or a bad person, and it's so deep seated as people grow up and they become adults it's like you said i have a really challenging time too around shifting and changing that belief system just around pleasure being able to yes up to pleasure yeah. yes mm -hmm. i was raised in a somewhat conservative church and pleasure was hedonistic mm -hmm. you know any type of pleasure not <laughs> not just sexual sexual pleasure wasn't even <laughs> even on the radar mm -hmm. yeah you know, and that shame piece, what comes to me, which, which is interesting, is I was also a licensed massage practitioner, and I did a continuing ed class called uh, Sexuality Issues in Massage, the Unspoken Energy. You know, I wanted to bring that to massage therapist's attention. Like, don't don't just bury it. It's, it's, it's in the room because it's sensual touch in a massage. So sexuality is going to bring, we don't have to sexualize a massage, but we're human beings. You can't cut out our sexuality. What I realized was I had people name, I said, go ahead and let's list all the names of, of genitalia that you can think of. And man, people were just listing all of these names. And I, you know, I'm from Detroit and I even got surprised with some of these names like ba-dump-ba-dump, -ba I never heard of that shit. Like what, and, 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 but what I realized that when we put them all on the board, they were all derogatory. Yes. You know, there was no reverent names for genitalia. So therefore it, it's shaming. We use even names for our genitalia to shame. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And oftentimes when I have couples that have young children, I encourage them to break the cycle of body shame and sexual negativity by raising their children differently mm. and encourage them to call genitals by their real name, vulvar penis. Say it again. Let's say it again for everybody out there. Call your genitals by their real name. Yes. It's, you either have a vulva or you have a penis. <laughs> yeah. And through that process of helping them to raise their children in a sex positive way, they often can heal some of the wounds that they carry and lose some of that shame in the process, which I think is beautiful because they also know that they're breaking the sex negative cycle in their family. That's right. Yeah. To go back to what you said earlier about when couples usually come to you, like one of the biggest reasons they come is a difference of compatibility around sexual desires. How do you, how do you work with that? Because there there is no normal. I tell people there's no normal sexuality. What's normal is what works for you guys. Whatever right. works is going to be normal for you. So don't look to the movies and so forth, or your friends, or this magazine that says you got to have sex four times a day, four times a week, and so forth to to be a happy couple. How do you get with people that are on the spectrum where one has a lower sexual desire and the other one is a higher sexual desire. One of the things I try to, to get at is how they are intimate together, not just sexually intimate, but how they share their time and their closeness in other areas of their life. And I often find that those couples who are having a hard time in the bedroom are doing things outside of the bedroom to avoid any type of intimacy. Mm -hmm. 
So if someone has a lower drive, when their partner comes up to kiss them in the kitchen, they pull back because they make this assumption that, oh, I'm being kissed because they want to be sexual and I don't want to be sexual. So there's a, a real break in overall intimacy. So one of the things I ask couples to do is just take sex off the table for a week. There can be no sexual contact. What I would like for you to do is be sensual together without the idea of, oh, this is happening because they want to have sex or sexual intercourse. Mm. So finding other ways to connect that then can help a couple, what I call simmer, raise the level of anticipation and excitement about being physically sexual together. Yeah, that's a great point because I hear that so much too. I hear it more from women that that when they're touched by their male partner, that that it's usually when he wants sex. And yes. so there's this, like you said, this alarm goes on as opposed to getting used to somebody's touch, getting used to the sensualness, then it's not this huge pressure that touch is equated to sex as opposed to we have a physical relationship and we can also have a sexual relationship and they can be very different and they can enhance each other. Yes. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm nodding. I'm nodding. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. You know, it's interesting that, that I read one time and I do believe this. I do tell couples too, that the partner with the lower sexual desire actually controls the sex, but not, not on purpose. It's, it's that in any way, if, if the partner has a lower emotional intimacy desire they control how often you get to speak on a deeper level or when and the same thing with a lower sex they actually control it even yes. though it doesn't feel like it's on purpose and power but that's why some resentment comes to the other person with a higher desire because they feel controlled that they're not able to have sex when and how when they want to mm -hmm. yeah i think it's also a good point to make to couples in this situation that your partner can't be a hundred percent of your sexual satisfaction or of your sexuality. You are responsible for your sexual self. The other person is responsible for their sexual self and the two also combine. Mm -hmm. But just because your partner doesn't want to have sex every other day, doesn't mean that you can't have a physical release every other day. And so how do you work with uh, the other partner if they're, I don't want to say jealous or, or resentful or saying, you know, you shouldn't do that. I do come across some couples that are resentful of their partner masturbating or taking care of themselves. But I look at them and I say, but, but that's because you're not engaging with that person. So they're taking care of their own sexual needs. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that partner is afraid that that's going to heighten into other risky behavior or behavior that will go outside of the relationship? How do you deal with that? Um, I try to help them realize that their sexuality as a couple is something that's shared, that it's something that the two of you work together on, but there is also a separateness. And some people masturbate to go to sleep. It's like a, a sleep aid. Some people masturbate for stress relief. It's their Xanax. 
And so we masturbate for a lot of different reasons. What they need to be looking at is how can we bring a level of sensuality and desire and anticipation for us to be sexual together? How can we improve on that? And sometimes if we're looking at a heterosexual couple where the female has the lower sexual desire, masturbation can actually prime the pump and act as a way to help her increase her level of sexual desire for her partner. Mm. So it can be an exercise of helping them come meeting more in the middle by improving her level of sexual desire. It's a lot easier to masturbate, to get yourself in the, in the mood to be sexual with another person. It just takes a lot more energy to be sexual with another human being when you can take care of things, you know, in less than a minute through masturbation. Yeah. I'm, I'm just curious about what, how do you deal with uh, people that are reticent about masturbating, that they didn't grow up with it, or they do have some negative connotations about it. How do you encourage people to explore their, their, their own pleasure? I would first encourage someone to experience sensual pleasure, such as a sensual massage. And this kind of goes back to why sometimes I, one of the things I see among couples with discordant desire levels is that the one with a higher level of desire wants the one with lower, the lower level of desire to want sex more and knows, you know, a nice massage would really help. So they start massaging their partner and kind of looking at it as an act of foreplay, but they're rushing it. Hmm. Instead of being completely present and saying, I'm going to give you this sensual massage and it is not step one of us being sexual. It is what I'm doing for you. I want you to feel sensual. I want you to feel pleasure on your body, in your body, all over your body, and begin to take the pressure off for it being a prelude to sex. It may be a prelude to sex, especially if there's no pressure to be sexual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that part about that exploration, I think is so important. There's a lot of times I tell couples, you know, in an adult committed relationship, sex is how adults play. So go have fun. You know, don't make it so serious, too. Mm -hmm. It's not, this, you know, and I know that the pressure and some of stress build, especially, let's say, if there is some incompatibility around Let's say if the male partner has difficulties in sustaining an erection or premature ejaculation, then there becomes a real pressure around that. Uh-oh, are we going to do this tonight? We don't want to be disappointed again. And usually what I tell couples around that is get that expectation off the table and just go play. Mm -hmm. Go enjoy. And I think that's an important part of asking a couple how they experience intimacy in other parts of their life. If they love to go to the Arboretum and have a picnic and enjoy the sun and the beautiful mountains around them, let that be acknowledged as a form, a form of intimacy and a form of connection and try to broaden the idea of what a sexual connection is. And I think it's really important to recognize that 
as we go through the life cycle, our sexuality is constantly changing. And if we keep this narrow view of sexual connection is an erect penis and a lubricated vagina in a heterosexual context, we are going to be sorely disappointed. In that previous example that you you gave, when men uh, have erectile issues or don't have a dependable an erection, then sometimes women may feel like they, oh, he's got an erection. We've got to have sex now or else. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, it narrowly defines what sex is. And I, I think it doesn't allow the person who feels rushed or feels pressure to go ahead and have sex to be able to really enjoy it. And if you don't really enjoy it, you're not going to desire it. Right. And what are some of the differences among lesbian and gay couples that some of their issues are? Because we've been talking about um, straight heterosexual couples. Are there a lot of differences when you're working with uh, lesbian and gay couples? There really aren't. Heterosexual couples and gay couples both have sexual problems. And they're not much different. There may be more shame associated with being gay because we have over the last 10 years shown a light and been much more inclusive than, than we have been in the past. So a lot of the adults that I would see a lot of gay adults that I would see in my practice right now would have grown up during a time where being gay was, was scary it was something where you, if you came out, you risked a lot. You had a lot to lose. And so there's that kind of like with religion, there's this foundational shame around who they are, are as a sexual human being. Some people have been able to let go of that and celebrate their sec- sexuality. And some, you still see it as part of um, their sexual identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it goes... Uh, the same as you're talking about around emotional connection. I know that I tell people what one of the biggest aphrodisiacs that you can have as a couple is emotional transparency, especially around appreciation. Mm -hmm. I I was working with a couple that hadn't had sex in seven years. We worked almost the whole session around exchange of deep emotional transparency of appreciation. And the next morning I checked my voicemail and I got this message and all it said was, guess what happened last night? And I was like, yeah, that's it. You know, and we don't realize how important being seen in a positive light from our partner can really open us up in a sensual, sexual giving manner and let go of resentments. Cause a lot of times people don't have sex because they're holding on to resentments. I totally agree. And appreciation one of the things I'll hear a couple say is, well, they know, they know I appreciate them. They know I appreciate what they do. They know I love them. And it's like, you need to say it. You need to say it. And it needs to be genuine. Yes. Say it, say it often, say it in detail. Um, use, be artistic about it. I think it's, it's so so important to and to have the vocabulary especially there are times i tell couples go ahead and have an appreciation share that you only talk about your your appreciation of your sex life and not anything else like tell the other person what you really appreciate of how they touch you what they do 
how you view them, your attraction to them. I mean, that can be very, very powerful just to be able to vocalize because isn't that a challenge for people is to use the vocabulary and to talk about sex to each other? It is. And that can be a very big stumbling block for couples. I often ask when I'm meeting with a couple, what does your metaphorical bedroom sound like? And oftentimes it's, it sounds silent. Hmm. And so there's no feedback from either partner about what's going on. And so, you know, you can't read your partner's mind. You have no idea where they are with pleasure, with anticipation, what they want. That needs to be spoken word or some sort of guidance to let, let their partner know how they can take this pleasure to the next level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have couples that come to me when they say that something that's getting uh, in between their sex life is, is porn. I did a, I did a podcast uh, about a year ago with uh, Joe court who uh, wrote a lot about porn and he normalizes it in, you know, in some way of just being able to bring it on the table of our, our fantasies, our, our desires, bring it out in the open when it becomes really challenging for a couple, it's when it becomes secret. And, mm -hmm. and I think that that's that people can have all kinds of views around pornography, but the, I think the biggest thing is the secrecy. And um, that means that if it's secret, you're doing something that you feel is shaming because mm -hmm. that's, that's why we keep secrets. You know, we don't want the other person to find out because we're embarrassed about it or something's going to happen. What do you suggest for couples that are working with issues where one partner has a negative issue around pornography and the other person has that as part of their sexual repertoire? One of the things I would ask them to think about is that they are two separate individuals and how they experience sexuality is going to be different. One of the, um, frustrating parts is when I'm working with a couple and the person who doesn't watch porn feels like they're being cheated on when their partner watches porn. Mm. And I find that to be very challenging because I think that the partner that is watching the porn is using it for their own personal way of sexual expression and that they have the right to do that. And I also think it's normal to fantasize about other people and other things. Mm -hmm. You know, what's going on in our head sexually, erotically, is something that we should feel good about owning. And it doesn't mean that your partner wants to have sex with a person that looks like a porn star. It means that your partner is able to use fantasy to help raise the level of excitement that they're experiencing during masturbation. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think it becomes also a problem when the person that is using pornography as a substitute for connecting with their partner. And that's where a couple has to really look at their issues of, mm -hmm. is that a substitute as opposed to an enhancement or the person's own preference? Mm -hmm. And that usually happens also with like a higher sexual desire partner and a lower sexual desire partner that that's how that person might take care of themselves. But if 
that becomes more of a habit and less about, hey, you know, people don't don't negotiate around around sex. And I find that I, I'm in a 25-year marriage and we make sex dates. You know, we talk about like mm-hmm. hey, Thursday night, you want to have sex there? Because I tell couples to to go ahead and make appointments with each other and they look at me and they go, ah, won't that take out? I said, look, you want to have sex? You'll have sex. I have sex because we got it on the calendar. And, it, and that just means we're preparing our after dinner. I know what my routine is going to be. We're going to get to bed early. And it's satisfying instead of thinking. And it creates anticipation, which is a huge part of arousal. If you know that Thursday night is your night, Mm -hmm. then um, if you're a woman, maybe masturbating Tuesday and Wednesday and really get the juices flowing and then preparing yourself and anticipating and knowing that, you know, this this evening after work is going to be our time together and that level of anticipation and desire can grow and grow and grow. Whereas I think we get, well, we do get messages from the media that sex is spontaneous. And in today's world, you know, going from work mode to sex mode, (laughs) you know, over a 20 minute dinner is really asking a lot. So I love the idea of, I think Esther Perel calls it Mm. planned spontaneity. Mm. Yep. Exactly. Put it on the calendar and then anticipate and prepare and, you know, use the day, fill the day with sexy texts to each other to increase the arousal even more. You know, that I have a good friend that uh, uses this expression. He said, sex starts in the morning, which means that how you are to each other throughout the day, starting in mm-hmm. the morning, is going to anticipate probably your likelihood of having sex later on. Mm-hmm. Because if you are caring and loving and connecting to each other throughout the day, especially people that need that connection in order to be more sexual, that, that there's the ticket right there. You right. Know, do that. Yeah. And I also tell, I mean, that part of planning sex, that's great for young couples with small kids. It's, it's not going to happen spontaneously. If you can plan it and one puts the kids to bed at a certain time and early, and you know that you're going to have sex that night, you're not going to go ahead and try to clean the bathtub that night. And so <laughs> I, I think it's so important that people that have younger kids that maybe their their sexual relationship is waning, that they actually put that in and start talking about planned sex. And mm-hmm. that could be very satisfying and connecting for each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, when your kids are young, having family or having close friends where you can do exchanges, babysitting exchanges. So for example, if I had, you know, family in town, maybe I could get my sister to keep to keep my kids overnight and then a weekend or two down the road I would keep her kids overnight so that as a couple we could have the whole entire evening to ourselves not have to worry about the kids waking up or coming in the bed so I think getting creative and and using the resources around you and not being not being afraid to ask right yep that's the big one is not being afraid to ask and not be afraid to get a no. I mean, a no doesn't mean I, I don't love you and care about you. No is like, it's just not in, in my field tonight and getting used to, I don't want to say getting used to rejection, but being able to be okay with, with a no. Cause mm-hmm. there is an aspect, I think when there might be a time where you might not feel it, I hear it a lot. And 
there's been times my wife said, yeah, I didn't feel like having sex, but I sure enjoyed it when I was having it. So there is this part of sometimes the knowing the beginning, I don't, I don't want to say that people should be coerced and forced, but it might be open to see, you know what, let's start and see how I feel as we're going along. Mm-hmm. See if I get in the mood as we're going along. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be this no right off the bat also. And people need to, to respect each other's no's also. Yeah. And not pout about it. Yeah. Right. Hold it, hold it against and punish it, punish emotional withdrawal. Yeah. And I think knowing under what conditions are best for sex. When I think about the typical working adult Friday night after a long week of work to me seems like the worst time to initiate sex. I mean, you're just exhausted by, by a Friday evening even evenings alone, morning sex is great. Talk about setting your day up to be a winner. Yeah. Yep. My wife and I, we, uh, we love that thing. Good morning Sundays, or we're going to have a beautiful <laughs> day today. It is wonderful to connect in the morning so that you have more of that connection throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kelly, we're talking a lot about touching upon a lot of different issues around sex. And, you know, there might be a time I would love to have you back and we can get into more details. So there's one issue that we're not going to be able to cover in detail at all, but I I don't want to just avoid it because it's really big uh, in people's lives at times. And also in the work that I see is around people that are are coming with a history perhaps of sexual abuse and the challenges that they have as an adult of having a more healthy sex life. How do you start off and what do you let people know about the possibility and the hope of turning their history and their challenges of their past into a more hopeful sex life? Well, first off, if someone comes to me and has a history of sexual trauma, I would only see them in conjunction with a therapist or if they had had therapy around dealing with that sexual trauma. So I would get them after the healing process has started. And one of the things I would focus on is first having pleasure with yourself and experiencing a level of safety, arousal, the beauty of the ability to be a sexual human being. And then I would work towards developing trust with the partner. But, you know, the reason I have a referral list is because treating someone with sexual trauma, if they've not had any counseling beforehand would be something I'm I'm not comfortable with. Yeah. I think that's really important because everybody has different experiences around that and they're going to have different responses and regressions and reactions and, and to be able to have a team in place for, for support. That's really important. I also at times recommend their partner, also to get that mm-hmm. that support because a lot of things are going to be coming up for them around their ability to to support or maybe their challenges or frustrations or feeling of empathy and how can they support and maybe their own issues about being with somebody in a relationship that's challenging so i think you're right on about that conjunction to create to create safety around that exploration One of the other areas that I see sexual trauma is when women have experienced, have had a history of sexual pain. 
It is a form of trauma where they have created a feedback loop where anytime there is arousal or even the thought of being sexual, they go into a really high stress mode because in the past when they've had sex, sex has been painful and it causes the body to clench up, which increases the likelihood of there being pain again. And so one of the things I will do is help a patient or a client tap into the ability to relax, the ability to let go using imagery around imagining the vaginal opening blossoming and blooming like a, like a beautiful flower. I also see the male partner really be hesitant about being sexual when there has been a pain issue in the past, because you just never, you never know if there's going to be pain when we're having a sexual interaction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So communication is a big part of that, being able to communicate whether or not she is adequately aroused. Do they need to reapply artificial lubrication? What position is going to be best? Talking about the depth of thrusting during intercourse. So there are a lot of things that and strategies that can be used to help someone who has experienced pain in the past overcome that and live a full sexual life. Mm. I love that that part that you know you keep stressing is around communication, and uh, that's also what I work with a lot of couples is around you know especially with sex. Tell your partner what it is that you want as opposed to what you don't. What you don't want, want yeah. <laughs> because you know the 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 psyche is so fragile in that way. Say, don't touch me that way, as opposed mm-hmm. to can you touch me softer, or can you touch me in circles instead of don't do that. You know mm-hmm. that then there's mm-hmm. a huge part of rejection that comes in. So one is we have to know what we want. And that's around our own sexual exploration of, of our pleasure to know what we want so that we can give direction. And then the other thing that I think is such bullshit when I hear one partner say, I don't want them to tell me what to do. I'm like, really? You don't want them to tell you a direction of pleasure when they're not feeling pleasure? You just want to be in charge of it? Let go of your ego and be appreciative that your partner is telling you how to pleasure them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't you want to be the very best you can be for your partner? Right. I mean, that benefits everybody. Yeah. Yeah. There's another part that I'm sure that you work with is around breath work. You know, that could really benefit people around a healthy sex life and really understanding how their breath is so correlated Mm -hmm. to sexual arousal and orgasm and the need uh, for premature ejaculation, how vital the breath is to manage Mm -hmm. our sex life. Yeah. And it's such a simple tool, you know, just breathing. Mm-hmm. Being aware of the breath, yeah. using mm-hmm. affirmations in conjunction with your breath. Yeah. yeah. What affirmations would you say to use in conjunction with your breath? Breathing in, I am worthy. Breathing out, I receive pleasure. Mm-hmm. Breathing in, I am worthy. Breathing out, I experience pleasure. There's a lot I'm deserving of pleasure. Some people feel like they aren't deserving of pleasure. So I'll ask them as a, as a homework assignment to list all the reasons that a person, not them, but that a person is worthy of pleasure. And then when they bring that list in, I have them identify why they 
are worthy of pleasure. And sometimes I will provide them with, with, you know, 40 or 50 affirmations and have them pick out the ones that they feel like would be most beneficial to them. Mm. Oh, that's nice. Well, I'm so glad that you're out there doing your work and helping people navigate this issue that's so vital to have a healthy relationship. And um, if you want to put out, how can people get a hold of you? Do you have some, you being an educator out, do you have some resources that you want people to know about? Well, I do have a pretty detailed website. It is Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y, Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, com, And it talks about the classes that I can provide for adults or for children, as well as the way I work as a private practitioner and how they can schedule an appointment. And I am doing telehealth at the moment as we are in the time of COVID. And so that allows me to be much more flexible with my scheduling. And I think this whole new telehealth experience, I think is allowing people to seek out services that perhaps they weren't able to work into their schedules prior to COVID. Yeah, right. So we'll have all that information on the show notes too for people. And maybe we could do also another podcast on sex in the COVID area, because that's a whole new thing too, huh? Around. uh, Yes, it is. Yeah. People that are just meeting and that whole initiation around uh, close contact and sex. It's a, it's an interesting endeavor. Yeah. Right. When COVID first, (laughs) first came out, I, I got an email from a person that says, can you get COVID COVID from sex? And I'm like, Mm. well, you're probably within that six feet zone. Yeah, so my huh. guess is the answer would be yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kelly. I really appreciate you making the time. Thank you, Prepo, for the invitation. I Absolutely. really appreciate it. Cool. So we'll figure out another way to do this and probably we'll hear from uh, listeners out there of what they want to hear more about. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode. Just want to let you know that if you are interested in my counseling and consulting services, you can contact me at prepo.com. Also, check out my guided meditations, especially the one on letting go of worry. There's a lot of that going around. I think this will be a big help to you. Also, in the month of November and December, I will be putting out audio guides on the topic of appreciation, guiding you through a process to give verbal and written appreciations for the people that you care so much about. And that will be on my website also, prepo.com. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, would love if you leave us a review. You can also check us out on Instagram at prepotoplitsky. All right, everybody. I know this time of year, Uh, can create some more stress. There's a lot going on around that for everybody. I always say that compassion is needed. I'll also put out that there's a good combination of compassion and tolerance. We need to have more tolerance for, for each other and more tolerance for ourselves and our discretion. So let's make more room for each other. Okay. Well, in that light, I hope that you make yourselves a 
beautiful day. Relationships. Let's talk about it. Is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit HeartShareCounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Thank you.